Hello and welcome to Mallow Street Talks, where we discuss pensions and investments. I'm Sandra Wolf, editor at Mallow Street. I'm speaking to Kate Jones, who chairs the UK's Lifeboat Fund for defined benefit pension schemes whose sponsoring employers become insolvent, the Pension Protection Fund. Kate, the um, Pension Protection Fund recently launched a sustainability strategy. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, delighted to. I'm really grateful for, I think, the chance to talk to you about um, this today. It's a subject I'm pretty passionate about, I think, growing our funds to um, ensure our members can receive the very best returns that we can deliver, but while doing business sustainably and making a real difference to the people and the communities that we serve. And I mean, in reality, you can't turn on the news at the moment without being struck, whether that's about the heat waves or wildfires is impacting so many people or the, the stories of, of social inequality. So we believe it's really important that we consider the material ESG risks and the opportunities not only in our investment decisions but across all of our activities and our decisions as a business. So I think you know, our new sustainability strategy is the culmination of about 18 months of, of work and it really brings together Uh, I think key elements of the way that we approach responsible investing, but also diversity, inclusion and uh, community community impact. Then what I love about the PPF is the PPF is an organisation that loves detail and and data. And so we've taken a really data led approach to understanding the detail and getting the facts and the figures to determine a baseline rather than kind of plucking some targets out of the air and whether that's getting a baseline for our diversity data or understanding you know, the climate risk profile of our of our portfolio, which is pretty diverse. I mean, it's taken you know, a lot of kind of time and focus. And in some areas like DNI and responsible investments, actually, we've been working at, at that for years and we're pretty clear on, on the issues and we've already been working to address them. I think in, in other areas like emissions of our own business supply chain, we're actually gathering data for, for the first time. So that has been time consuming, actually at times kind of quite painful, but that has now allowed us to set some really tangible targets as part of our sustainability um, strategy. So for example, I'm sure you're familiar with the scope one, two and three categories of emissions. So scope one and two being kind of the greenhouse gases uh, that that we make directly as a business and we can control that heating and cooling our business, for example, our building. Um, But scope three, I think this is where the real gains can be made. And this is when we need to look further into our our supply chain or or, or in our investments. And we've recognised that we're already net zero in our own operations, but we believe in order to kind of truly um, deliver on a net zero commitment, uh, that we need to address scope three as well. And that's something that we're planning to achieve in our operations uh, by, by 2035. Um, but we've also set ourselves some other quite specific targets as well. So in DNI, we've set ourselves some targets of having 30% ethnic minority representation across the business by the end of this year, and for 45% of our senior roles to be held by women. So challenging challenging targets that we think are are inspiring actually to to the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So in our, in our investments, we've created quite a specific climate watch list of 80 portfolios, um, 80 portfolio companies. Um, and through that analysis I was talking about earlier, we've identified that they are going to account for the majority of our, of our um, financed emissions. So we're going to be working with each of those companies to create really detailed transition plans. Um, and, and finally, just in the community impact part of our sustainability strategy, we've set ourselves a, a minimum target of 500 days um, to, to get back across the organisation. Um, and you know, for us, it's about creating that real connectivity into the local community. So we're based in, in Croydon um, and we've been working with a local Croydon charity. OK, that sounds really comprehensive. Um... I, I saw that the PPF already has a responsible investment strategy. Is there a difference between the sustainability strategy and the responsible investment strategy? It's, it's a really good question. And I think you know, investing responsibly has always been at the heart of how we've managed our investment portfolios. And we believe that's really critical to giving sustainable returns for all of our stakeholders. We do recognise that kind of by far the greatest impact the PPF lies with our, our investment portfolio. So we'd originally built our responsible investment strategy to enhance the long-term value of our, of our investments by managing the ESG risks and the opportunities. So RI remains a major part of our sustainability strategy, and we're going to continue to incorporate ESG risks and opportunities into our investment process. Um, however, but by thinking about RI as part of our overall sustainability strategy it's given us the opportunity to reflect that we want to really identify opportunities to collaborate and to be leading by example within the pensions industry and the asset management communities so putting it as part of a much kind of broader focus for us. So uh, you've mentioned earlier that you've got net zero commitments for the operations 2035 and I guess your portfolio is your scope three emissions so um, are you planning on setting any targets there or do you think that's not really the right approach? So in our TCFD report last year, we've been doing a huge exercise on baselining our portfolio. And actually, because a large part of our portfolio is in private assets, we've had to take quite an innovative approach. And we've been close, working closely um, with Ortec Finance to do some really interesting, innovative ways uh, to actually get that baseline for portfolio and we'll shortly be publishing our next TCFD um, report. So at this point we're not going as far as putting targets on this, we've been wanting to really understand where we are but that has enabled us to identify those 80 portfolio companies that I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. where we've identified they're our biggest contributors already so we can now start having a kind of a very targeted plan working with the companies that we know are contributing most to um, the implied te temperature rise in our in our portfolio. Okay, the PPF has been talked about quite a lot, including it had a departmental review last year uh, carried out by Leslie Tipcombe, the former chief executive of the pensions regulator, and she suggested that the PPF should share best practice on investments and on responsible investment in particular. And, and just be out there more and lead the industry and collaborate. How are you going to do that? Yeah, I think we, we don't think it's necessarily about kind of telling people what to do, but we do want to be collaborating and sharing that best practice, given the fairly unique 
position that we come from as a public body. And we really want to set an industry standard in our approach to responsible investing. I think firstly, by doing our really detailed analysis of understanding our, our risks, but through doing that, set really clear expectations of our asset managers. And by pushing off our managers across all of asset, all the asset classes to really step up their climate-related reporting and encourage them to set the very best-in-class reporting standards. Um, by raising our reporting requirements, we help accelerate that industry change because they're then able to use those templates for others. But it is also just about sharing what we've learned with others who just won't have access to the knowledge and resources that we do. So you know, we do think this is about, about collaboration. And our subject matter experts from all parts of our business, particularly uh, in our investment team, are joining those industry, industry groups to, to really lead and share those um, best practices. And we think that's the very best way that we can um, collaborate and, and share what we're doing to enable others to benefit from the, the work and the resources that we have. We'd really encourage others to to just be bold and join us on, on this journey. I think that's the way we're all going to be moving forward. Yeah. The PPF, uh, obviously, this is quite governance heavy. And um, the PPF, unlike a lot of schemes, um, can rely on an in-house investment team, among others. And um, I think uh, Oliver Morley, the chief executive, actually said recently that that was quite an important factor in uh, the scheme not suffering during the LDI crisis last year. To what extent would you say this internal function is being lent on or how, how important is it for the success and what should schemes do if they don't have that? I mean, as you say, I mean, the direct impact of the situation on the PPF was pretty limited. You know, we were never in a situation where we needed to, to force sell any of our, of our assets and managing that strategy in-house did mean we had a real-time view of our position and we were able to react very quickly and we have an, an excellent in-house investment operations team who could oversee the transfer of the extra security we needed to, to pledge. Um, but in terms of your point about what can what can others do, I think we do really welcome the government's recent mansion house reform uh, package and in particular DWP's call for evidence, which is really looking at the options for DB schemes and how DB assets can better support the economy. I think that call for evidence does recognise that the DB universe is highly, highly fragmented. I mean, we know we support over 5,000 schemes and many of these are very, very small, both in terms of members and assets. Um, What we do know is from experience, smaller schemes can lack the scale and the opportunities that bigger schemes have access to, whether that's in terms of accessing a wide range of investment opportunities or indeed you know, M-gain solutions such, such as buyout. So we'll absolutely be submitting evidence into the call for evidence on the various options that government's considering. Mm-hmm. So you've you've mentioned the fragmentation of uh, the DB universe that sort of points towards consolidation. Um, in the review last year, um, Leslie Tickham also said that the PPF should act as a consolidator for pension schemes that can't consolidate elsewhere and that's been picked up in the call for evidence how can you can you explain a bit more about that what conditions would schemes and employers need to meet in your view how would it impact the ppf levy uh, if at all and what are generally the potential pros and cons 
I, mean, I think you know, this, this call for evidence is um, raising that option of us acting as a consolidator for solvent schemes. And I think that's important as opposed to the current fund, which mm. requires solvent to have uh, employed to have become insolvent to, to come to us. Um, and we will be inputting into you know, the government's questions that they're asking about the structure and the entry requirements. But in terms of your question on, on the levy, I think it's just important to note that we already manage two separate funds. So we already manage the protection fund and the fraud compensation fund. And there's no kind of cross-subsidy between the two. So for us, that's just demonstrating that it would be perfectly possible for us to set up a new fund completely separate to the pension protection fund, but still being managed by us as, as an organisation. So I think some of these comments about how it would impact the, the levy, I think we need to be thinking of anything that might be used for solvent schemes potentially as, as, as fundamentally separate to, to other things that we do. But we do recognise that through the existing PPF fund, we've already consolidated more than a thousand schemes. So we've kind of shown that we can successfully generate returns through investing in, in growth assets and, and we are kind of willing and ready to play our part if called upon. Yeah. Some people have sort of raised the concerns about potential moral hazard there. What would you say to that? I think the, the last few months have been very interesting. There's been lots of, of very kind of different you know perspectives shared by all kind of parts of of the industry. And I think any uh, any change in policy or regulation, as ever, needs to be really, really thought through to be understanding um, the implications and ensuring that it doesn't, to a point, create a moral hazard or unintended consequences, even if it's coming from the, 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 the right desire to um, uh, kind of increase, uh, create better outcomes for, for DB schemes. The PPF has done very well. It's uh, it's got, I believe, more than twelve billion in reserves now, a funding level of about one hundred and fifty six percent. That's attracted interest in what happens to the surplus now that a lot of DB schemes are also well funded. What do you think would be a fair proposal? We've spent the last couple of years really looking at our funding strategy, and when we published that new funding strategy last year, and I think that gave us the confidence that we could really start to bring down the levy without risking the security of, of member benefits. So last year, we halved the levy, and it's come down from over 600 million in 2020-21 to 200 million in the in the current year and our expectation is that reliance on levy is going to further reduce but there are still a number of factors that could impact the ppf balance sheet i mean members might still live longer than expected the cost of compensation in that case would be higher and there always remains a risk of future claims although we do recognize that's much lower than it has been for many years but I think it's important to emphasise that you know, our, our reserves aren't a kind of a surplus per se on our existing membership. They really are an insurance policy that we're able to meet our commitments to any DB scheme that needs us for the long term. So our strategy is to just ensure that we're sufficiently funded to pay compensation to current members, but as well as any future members for as long as they're needed. In her review, Leslie Tickholm also said or suggested that you, as the new chair, should have a chance to build relationships with uh, key senior people in the ministry, in the DWP, and should meet um, the pensions minister twice a year together with the chief executive of the PPF, with a focus on the strategic challenges, risks and opportunities facing the fund. 
Um, I, I think there was an impression that perhaps the, the uh, communication with the DWP wasn't as, as good as it could have been at the time. Um, has that changed or how, how is the relationship with the DWP changing? The simple answer to that is yes, I was only a few months into my role when that review was done and I'm really pleased that over the last two years Oliver and I have had a number of really interesting and, and very fruitful discussions with both Laura Trott, the Pensions Minister, as well as other senior DWP officials. I've also had the chance to develop some really strong relationships with the chairs of other arm's length bodies, but also the chair and the chief exec of the pensions regulator and across a wider government. It's been a, a really interesting couple of years. And I've really enjoyed uh, developing developing those relationships. Mm -hmm. And and as you said, you've, you're now just over two years into a five-year term as chair. What are the things you're hoping to achieve over the next three years? And I can't believe I'm two years in already. And I guess kind of, it does make you kind of reflect on what you've achieved already. And in those first two years, I'm particularly proud of I think, the sustainability strategy launch and the completion of our funding strategy, which were culminations of really multi-year pieces of work. Um, but in, in the next three, I'm really keen to see the impact of us looking up and out more, which is something... I've been focusing on since I took on uh, the chair on and a message I've been giving to the organisation. And I'm really delighted to see us start engaging more with external groups to be sharing what we're doing. And lastly, even though we're now only one year into our three year strategic plan, we actually need to start thinking about the next one. So I'm really excited to be leading the board through the formation of the new strategic plan, which will be really a key priority for us all through 2024. Kate, thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts and plans with us today. If you'd like to know more about pensions and investments, go to malastreet.com or register for full access.